Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to talk about a new book. It's called Craving Supernatural Creatures, German Fairy Tale Figures in American Pop Culture. Our guest is Claudia Schwaba, who is Associate Professor of German at Utah State University. In Craving Supernatural Creatures, she analyzes supernatural creatures in order to demonstrate how German fairy tales treat difference and otherness with terror, distance, and negativity, whereas contemporary North American popular culture adaptations navigate diversity by humanizing and redeeming such figures. And this is, uh, Claudia Schwab, a very, um, very timely, right? We Thank have uh, this uh, arguments over uh, immigration and such. We'll get into some of those uh, uh, parallels uh, today. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. So you have a very interesting background. I'd like to start briefly with that. You have taught high school. Correct. Um, and you have a business degree. Correct. Worked in a company, <laughs> yes. a manufacturing company. That is correct. Yeah. I, uh, first, I uh, worked as executive assistant for a German manufacturing company called Grenzebach in Noonan, Georgia. And after a year or so working for them, I decided to get my master's degree at Georgia College and State University. And after that, I taught uh, two years of high school, German, French, and business. And then I decided to get my PhD at the University of Florida. So teaching high schools in in the U.S. Correct. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. What did you think about that? It was very different from my high school experience, mm-hmm. but uh, um, I loved my students, and uh, we had we had a great time together. I just thought, um, for me and what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life, I wanted to go and teach um, students who were a little bit older, mm-hmm. and also um, really into the German language mm-hmm. and uh, and fairy tales, of course. So that's the, the reason you got into higher education then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk about fairy tales, obviously, but we hear. Um, um, some European countries, including uh, Germany, education is more rigorous. Is that the case? I would I would agree with that. Okay. <laughs> so th- that's uh, that's definitely something I I I noticed the difference between the German uh, high school system and the American high school system. Um, but over time, um, I adapted a little bit. And um, yeah, every every new professor coming over here to U- Utah State, I also tell them it's not quite as rigorous here as it is in Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, they have to adapt a little bit too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, business background, uh, teaching high school, teaching German, uh, you wouldn't obviously make the leap to fairy tales, but you've. Yeah, so I've written I, a book here, and yeah. you, you teach it as well. <laughs> I, I grew up with both, I would say. I had an interest in business uh, early on, so I went and after the German high school experience, I went to a, a German business school and studied for three years. And my uh, last year, I went to Newcastle upon Tyne um, to finish my uh, bachelor's in international business administration. But I also grew up with uh, fairy tales, and I was born in Hanau, in fact. And Hanau is in the beautiful state of Hesse, and it is the same birthplace as the Brothers Grimm, uh, J- Jacob Grimm was born in uh, 1785, and Wilhelm Grimm was born one year later. And um, just growing up in Hanau and the area, um, I was exposed early on to a lot of Grimm materials, uh, not just the fairy tales. Every summer we have um, summer a summer festival in Hanau, and they have performances of uh, the Grimm's fairy tales uh, with um, a little adaptation. 
Um, but uh, street festivals and museums and uh, a beautiful castle with a grim exhibit now. So uh, that was the reason, I think, um, early on I... I was exposed to a lot of grim. <laughs> Your mother read you these. My mother, um, but also my grandmother. Your grandmother, yeah. Yeah, and I, I vividly remember her because she has, had a beautiful uh, storytelling voice, and I think that makes also a big difference, um, not just listening to uh, a fairy tale, but also the storyteller. And the role of the storyteller is very important, and how you... Um, how you, uh, yeah, pronounce words and emphasis and uh, style. So she was just an amazing storyteller, mm. and I was glued to her words. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just made it so much more vivid for me and, and colorful. You remember this fondly, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., um, I think the the... Um, unchanged Grimm has taken on a reputation of it's pretty stark. It's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of really bad stuff <laughs> happens. Uh, of course, we have the whole Disney that is true industrial complex here yeah, in, in, in the U.S. But, that is uh, true. Yeah, but your your experience of it was positive. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, in fact, a lot of students, they don't know the original Grimm tales, and they know the sanitized. Uh, Disney version, of course. Um, so sometimes we start with Disney and then we move to the originals in class. And they're surprised uh, how much actually, how, how bloody or brutal some of these tales are. Uh, there is a lot of violence in the tales and um, they are surprised. They probably didn't expect it. But also it has been my experience. If, if you read the original tales to children, they don't mind. They know this is a, a story. This is a safe space. So to say, so when I listen to the fairy tale, nothing can happen to me. Um, so let's say in uh, Cinderella, where the evil stepsisters cut their their feet, um, the toes and the heel to fit into the shoe and the shoe gets all bloody. Um, and that is uh, sort of the sign for the prince. It's the wrong bride that I'm carrying home. Or, for example, in Snow White, the uh, evil queen. Um, So she is punished um, by having to dance herself to death in hot iron slippers. Um, So I think for children, especially, it's important to hear that evil does get punished. um, But at the same time, they know it's a story and it's not not real. So they don't really get scared. They actually enjoy it. Mm For the most part, uh, and and maybe we can trust our children to, yeah, to to learn these lessons in a safe space, mm-hmm. even with the original Grimm. Uh, I want to make transition. You you start the book with an experience you had with Barbie dolls. <laughs> yeah. Tell tell us about that. <laughs> well, I grew up with Barbie dolls, okay. So that was my generation, and um, so um, but in, in Germany. In Germany, okay. yes, yeah. yes, um, Barbie dolls and Shira. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, one day in in 2013, I strolled through one of. Um, the biggest retailers in America. And uh, I went to the toy section and I looked at the shelves um, and I was curious, what kind of toys are they selling these days? What kind of toys do they market to our children and boys and girls? And sure enough, in the girls section, there were these very, very strange looking dolls, um, I thought. 
uh, different uh, skin tones, and they looked like monsters on one side, but at the other, on the other side, they were also supposed to be very beautiful. And so we, we saw the supposedly the daughters or the children of fairy tale characters and monsters such as um, Draculaura. Um, she looked a little bit like Dracula or Frankenstein, um, from Frankenstein, obviously. And um, from the big bad wolf or the daughter of one of the evil fairy tale queens. And I thought to myself, well, that is odd. That is strange. Um, why do? Why is this happening? Why do we do this? Um, and so I did a little research, and I found that uh, Mattel was marketing these dolls who really looked like the underfed love children of Tim Burton and Lady <laughs> Gaga. <laughs> and and the brand is a, actually a skull with a pink bow tie. So um, it is something that is marketed. Um, and something that should be monstrous and scary and maybe evil, but then they market it as something that that is supposedly beautiful and desirable and just not monstrous at all anymore, not scary at all. But um, I, su- I, I suppose they market them as cool dolls. Mm-hmm. So very different than the original Barbie. Yeah. yeah. So what's going on? This gets us into the you know, mm-hmm. theme of your book. Mm-hmm. What's going, uh, you know, taking the originals and in what ways are these being transformed? What For what purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Mattel markets these dolls by saying slogans like, be, be freaky, be fabulous. Um, so really... I, I, I realized as I was doing research that a lot of um, media productions, television, film also, uh, they, they promote diversity or otherness uh, in a positive way through the lens of the villain or the monstrous. Um, and that was very interesting to me. Um, so we have a bunch of different uh, fairy tale television series that came out um, these past years, such as the Grimm television series or Once Upon a Time. And what we see here are fairy tale characters reimagined, reinvented, and former villains such as the Evil Queen um, with a very interesting backstory, something, a backstory that redeems her as actually a positive figure. Um, and this this seems to be really um, interesting for for the public because there's a large fandom associated with these new television series and the films. Um, so, yeah, the, this is this is interesting to me to see how how have the, these fairy tale ca- characters been reinvented and reimagined in very positive ways, not scary and threatening anymore, but very. Very, um, very much a, a figure that we can relate to. Some folklorists, uh, one of your mentors, uh, mm-hmm. Jack Zipes, mm-hmm. uh, prominent, uh, very prominent uh, folklorist who's been on this program, mm-hmm. thanks to your help, mm-hmm. um, he decries this uh, this sort of uh, transformation, uh, popularization, mm-hmm. I guess, the changes. Um, what's his objection? Well, uh, Jack Zipes as as he's my friend, <laughs> but uh, he also he criticizes Disney a lot. He uh, says Disney is a shallow product, um, and he also says there is this fairy tale hype 
going on right now. Um, and I agree, there is a fairy tale hype, but it's very closely connected to our demand. And it seems a reciprocal uh, connection here. There is more demand, um, so there there's more product out there and, and vice versa. So I, I, I find this interesting, this... Um, the way we in our contemporary culture portray fairy tale char- characters, it says something about ourselves, um, about our society, and how we deal with anything foreign or different or other or monstrous, anything that is not um, normal in that sense. Um, so, Disney, yes, I agree with Zipes in the beginning. Um, it was the, the the Disney productions. They were they were very um, how should I put it <laughs> sugar coated, mm-hmm. and um, the the role of women, uh, the heroines, was not portrayed in a in a great way. And but Disney has changed, and and it's exactly that we see that change in Disney because Disney is re- responding to us as a society and our values. How have our values changed? And we want to see. Um, more minority characters in in the Disney productions, and um, that's precisely it. And so I'm interested in that that uh, reaction, how the media reacts to what we want to see portrayed in the fairy tale adaptations. Let's take a break soon, and uh, when we come back, I want to jump into you, you. I want to get into some specifics, um, but before we do that, uh, do you do you have a fairy bit a fairy tale? Oh yeah, absolutely, I do. Uh, one of my favorite fairy tales. I have many, of course. <laughs> so one is actually one of the shortest fairy tales uh, in the Grimm collection. There's about 210 fairy tales in the Grimm collection, and there are seven different editions um, that the Brothers Grimm published. So, But this one has uh, almost not changed at all. It's called the, the Star Money or t- the Star Tailors in German, Sterntaler. And it's about a, a little girl, an orphaned girl, in fact, and uh, she has really nothing left in life, not even a roof over her head. And she's all alone. And the only thing she still has is her clothes and a loaf of bread. So she goes out into the world and um, she comes across an, a man who is hungry and he begs her for some food. So she gives him the entire loaf, the entire piece of bread that she has, and she says, God bless you, and moves on. Then comes a child, and the child says, I, my, my, I'm so cold, give me something to cover my head with. So she takes her, her hood or her cap and gives it to the child, and she walks a little more, and there's another child um, freezing, and the child asks the girl for um, some sort of uh, coat that she's wearing. Um, so she takes her own coat, gives it to the child, and then there is a third child asking for a skirt. And so she also gives the skirt away. And it continues, and uh, it gets darker, and she walks into a forest, and there is yet another child. And the child says, I, again, I'm so cold, give, give me something. And uh, the young girl thinks, well, it's getting dark and nobody will see you. And I might as well take off my little shirt um, and and give it away. And so she's um, all naked and alone in the dark woods. And it's 
cold and she she just stands there and she looks up to the sky and all of a sudden the stars fall down and they become coins gold coins and even though she has given away all of her clothing she all of a sudden has a new little shirt and she collects all the money into her little shirt and it just says and she is rich for the rest of her life. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, why does that appeal to you so much? You it, it appeals to me, I think, so much because um, it's about this this innocence on the one hand, but also even if you have so little, but you still have such a big heart that you can empathize with other people in need. And even even if you have only a little and you're still willing to give that away, um, that is just such a such a grand gesture, and this compassion that you have for your fellow human being, um, I think that's what intrigues me about this fairy mm-hmm. tale. If you just joined us, we are talking with uh, Claudia Schwaba. She is associate professor of German at Utah State University, and her new book, out from Wayne State University Press, is called "Craving: Supernatural Creatures: German Fairy Tale Figures in American Pop Culture." We'll get into some specifics, some uh, Grimm Brothers uh, tales and other tales, and uh, their adaptations in uh, U.S. Uh, pop culture, including the doppelganger, the Gollum. Um, and uh, we'll be talking about um, the evil queen or witch uh, in uh, Snow White, uh, the big bad wolf, and the fairy tale dwarf, all treated in uh, chapters in this book. You're welcome to join this conversation. You can uh, email us to upraxis at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Anderson Seed and Garden, offering spring decor, garden supplies, and landscaping ideas. Located at 69 West Center Street in Logan. Information at andersonseedandgarden.com and on Facebook. Next time on Philosophy Talk, the value of a college education. Well, those who go to college earn a lot more money than those who don't. Yeah, but isn't college about more than the size of your future paycheck? Oh, like what? Like finding a passion or satisfying one's thirst for knowledge. But what if your passion is poetry? Then study it. But what are you going to do with your fancy degree in poetry? Live a more poetic life. The value of a college education. Next time on Philosophy Talk. Tuesday morning at 4 on Utah Public Radio. Are you looking for a way to make your nonprofit organization more visible to our statewide community? Utah Public Radio's community calendar highlights events across the state, including music concerts, live theater, classes, workshops, art shows, lectures, festivals, volunteer opportunities, and much, much more. Just check out upr.org and head to our community calendar page. There you'll find our user-friendly submission link and the submission guidelines. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about a very timely book. It's called Craving Supernatural Creatures, German Fairy Tale Figures in American uh, Pop Culture. Uh, timely, I say, because uh, Claudia Schwaba, the author uh, is, who's with me, um, you say that uh, in popular culture, uh, what these figures, especially the villains, meant originally in the, in the Grimm, in the times past, they mean something very different in pop culture, and and it gets us into uh, themes of immigration and and the other. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Yeah. So what I did with my book, I divided it uh, into four chapters, 
And in every chapter, I look at a different fairy tale creature or um, fairy tale creatures. So in the first chapter, I look at the golem, uh, the automaton, and the doppelganger. And I mostly tie these to uh, German literary fairy tales. Um, maybe I should explain the difference yes, between yeah, literary fairy tales. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, we usually call them in German Kunstmärchen, art fairy tale or literary fairy tale, that we can assign to a specific author in a specific time period. So, for example, um, most or well-known are the fairy tales by Hans Christian Andersen, the Danish uh, fairy tale author. Um, and uh, in the first chapter, I look at uh, literary fairy tales of the Romantic period uh, by Ludwig Tieck or um, Wilhelm Hauf or Achim von Arnim. And um, we do have, and a lot of people don't know this, we do have the golem, the doppelganger, and the automaton in these literary fairy tales. Uh, but I tie them to American productions such as, such as Edward Scissorhands or The Stepford Wives, um, even to the f uh, popular Disney film Frozen uh, in terms of the golem, uh, for example. So in the golem, um, if you don't know this, it's actually out of Jewish folklore. It's a, a creature created uh, with earth or mud, and usually that creature doesn't speak, and it does the will of the master, whoever created the golem. And uh, what we see now in these in these popular productions is that these these creatures or these monsters, if you want, they become comedic. Um, they become trivialized. Uh, they are they're not scary anymore. Um, and a, a very good example is actually in in Frozen. We have Elsa, the the Snow Queen, and she creates a golem out of snow. Um, and it's a protector figure, and that golem chases away her sister Anna. But then uh, at, in, after the movie is over, at least on the DVD, you see how this huge golem puts a little tiara on his head <laughs> and smiles. And, um, and that's exactly my point. Um, it, it, it's shown that this creature is actually kind at heart, mm -hmm. if you want, uh, that it's actually... Uh, a sweet golem and not a scary golem. It was certainly not the case in the original. Right? It's certainly these are, not. These are scary. Yes. These are yeah. other. Uh, what about the doppelganger? Uh, doppelgangers too. So uh, what is interesting also is uh, the uh, the uh, the Stepford wives. We have a doppelganger automaton, sort of a hybrid creature, um, because there are machines. Um, but at the same time, they look like the original Stepford women, the, the women that get murdered in the, in the first um, production of the film. But then in the second production of the film with Nicole Kidman, they become these ridiculous um, comedic machines. They do ridiculous things, and it's, they're meant to, you know, make you laugh. Mm. Um, and uh, or in Edward Scissorhands, who who is also a, an automaton, we are as viewers, we are invited to feel sympathy with this character, with this automaton. Also, he's actually a machine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, in the originals, mm -hmm. uh, what do these represent? 
So in the originals, we have these as really um, scary uh, monsters and killers. They kill people. They're scary. Um, and yeah, so we what they represent is, is up to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, of course, in fairy tales, we have um, dangers that are usually... Um, on a you know on a symbolic level, they represent uh, fears or um, just a threat in a community, a society. Um, so the interpretation of these uh, varies what they represent. But again, um, I I always I have a favorite quote uh, by uh, G.K. Chesterton, who was an, an English writer, and he said that um, fairy tales. Um, don't are not about telling children that dragons exist because children already know that dragons exist, but they tell them that dragons can be killed. And so if you have a, a scary uh, golem creature or automaton or doppelganger um, that represents something threatening, um, usually that um, character or monster um, in the end, because it's evil, gets um, killed or beaten. Mm-hmm. And so there's uh, there's a good message right mm-hmm. in the original that oh, yeah. uh, this is this is it's other it's scary mm-hmm. it can be defeated mm-hmm. uh, something important going on in these adaptations mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. in in the subverting the very otherness mm-hmm. of the other mm-hmm. and and saying that uh, need not be defeated maybe yes. because yeah. the other is maybe more like us than exactly exactly than we thought so now. Otherness is something as uh, a construct that we in in society actually appreciate and celebrate. Um, Being different is something very good. Um, And that is the key difference. Now, it's nothing threatening anymore, but it's actually something that we celebrate and um, exalt. So this chicken and egg question that we Mm -hmm. talked about before, the hype and the demand, um, Mm -hmm. or at least related to that, these representations in popular culture are they teaching us this or is, or does this come from us from the culture yeah i think that's exactly it. that's a reciprocal um construct here that one influences the other i think to some degree uh it's the media influencing us but at the same time the media is responding to what we as a society uh, value, um, our our morals, our values, and um, um, yeah, what what we want to see in the media. Um, that's that's um, going both ways, I mm. believe. Yeah. Is uh, I don't know if there's a backlash to this. You know, let, mm. let's get back to the pure. Mm. <laughs> uh, um, you know, maybe among scholars. <laughs> yeah, maybe among scholars, but certainly yeah. not among the popular. No, culture, no, yeah. the popular, the, the the people love it. I mean, just uh, have a look at all the movies that are out there right now with um, the Avengers and the Marvel superheroes and Guardians of the Galaxy and the Fantastic Four. I mean, we are, we are. Um, exposed to so many of these um, creatures, if you want, um, with supernatural abilities, 
and and we love it. We go to conventions. We even dress up and try to be just like these superheroes. Um, and it's interesting because um, these hybrid creatures between human and animal, that was something in the Grimm's fairy tales, for example, coded very negatively. Every time a character um, was half animal and half human, that was... Um, in the tales, interpreted as something bad and something uh, maybe a, a character is enchanted and that ch en enchantment needs to be broken, that spell needs to be broken. Um, but now it's something very positive. I mean, look at the X-Men, for instance, with all their special abilities. Yeah. And we've had the rise of the anti-hero, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess you could simplify that as, as meaning, well, let's take the hero and just make him more human, more complex. Yes, exactly. That's also a very interesting development. And I talk in the other chapters, I talk about um, the evil queen, for instance, the, the fairy tale evil queen. And we see that in, let's say, the show Once Upon a Time. Uh, we have Regina Mills, who is the mayor of Storybrooke. And she turns out to be the evil queen of the fairy tale Snow White. But she's also the mayor and she is the um, mother of a young boy. She adopted a young boy. And so she, she's the adoptive parent. And she sort of redeems herself in the show through motherhood. Um, and we... As spectators, we were sort of torn between rooting for her character and one of the other protagonists, um, Emma Swan, who is the biological mother of that boy called Henry. Um, so this is interesting that now we see we see uh, we have to ask ourselves: Okay, why is this character evil to begin with? Did something happen maybe in that character's past? Maybe something very traumatic? And if we watch the show, we learn more and more that, yes, something traumatic did happen. Um, in, with, to stay with the example of Regina Mills, she had um, a love interest, a stable boy, and that stable boy was killed in front of her eyes, and the killer was actually her own mother. So we are invited to feel sympathy with this person and also to relate to these so-called villains at a very personal level, and uh, or whether it's daily struggles, um, that they have, so they're they're humanized, and so um, they're not really that evil anymore. Mm. So tell us about the original uh, Grimm, mm -hmm. the original tale. I think we, uh, I told you before we went on the air. I'm much more familiar with the Disney <laughs> in all these cases yes. than with the original Grimm because that's what I was exposed to. So Snow White, yes, the yes. original tale. Tell us about the evil. Oh, absolutely, yes. So the evil queen. queen I mean, she was really, really evil, and she actually did a total of four um, attempts to kill Snow White. And Snow White in the fairy tale is a very young girl of um, seven years or so. Um, so she tells the hunter to kill her uh, in the woods, first of all, and bring back um, her, her heart and her lungs. And uh, she wants to eat them. So really, she is also a cannibal. Um, and um, But 
you know, the hunter uh, feels sympathy with the, the little princess. So she um, finds refuge in the cottage of the seven dwarfs. And they're not the dwarfs from the Disney film at all. They are very tidy dwarfs. They don't need Snow White to clean up the house. But at the same time, they kind of ask for, okay, if, if we give you shelter, you know, you should, you know, uh, how do you say, chime in or... Mm-hmm. Um, you should contribute a little bit. Okay, so she offers to do the household um, while the dwarfs are out and working. And then the evil queen comes and um, first time, she's very, the, the evil queen is a very crafty woman. Uh, she's very smart. And um, so she dresses up as um, um, a saleswoman. Uh, and uh, she's selling. She she's selling uh, beautiful combs. And um, well, little Snow White. She's growing up. She's maturing and uh, becoming a, a young woman. And she's interested in um, you know uh, maintaining her her looks. So she buys that comb from her. And the uh, the evil queen in her masquerade puts the the poisoned comb in her hair. So she falls down and. Um, the evil queen thinks she's dead, but the, every time when, when she does this, the dwarfs return and pull out the comb, or next time it's a beautiful lace that she puts around her waist and trying to suffocate her, but every time they are able to revive Snow White, except for the final time, which is then the, the poisoned apple. And her craftiness is actually that she can make an apple that is uh, poisoned halfway, so to convince Snow White to actually take a bite from the apple, she's like, okay, okay, I, you can trust me. So have a bite from this. I have a bite from this apple on this side, and you have a bite from this apple on the other side. And only after this, Snow White actually takes a bite. And so she, so the evil queen was able to poison it halfway. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then it's not until later that the prince comes and it's actually not the kiss that wakes her up uh, from the uh, prince charming it's a servant uh, stumbling over a rock or something and they're carrying the the lifeless body of snow white and that's how she basically uh, wakes up again because that that piece of apple uh, jumps out of her throat so um but this this queen is so evil that uh, you know she she goes even to the wedding to to see if it's true that Snow White is alive again, um, and that there is a new young queen in town, um, and that's where she finally gets the punishment she deserves. Mm. Uh, so always uh, this idea of uh, evil will get punished yes. is a good lesson for for children. But but as you were telling this, uh, some elements here that a lot of our audience won't be familiar with, mm-hmm. at least I wasn't. <laughs> um, so that would have been reflecting the society then, I guess, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, all of these, uh, or what we'd say, original fairy tales, um, they are basically reflective of 
the morals and the values of society back then. They show how we treat or how they treated children, how um, they treated maybe the elderly, how marriage, um, the views on marriage. Um, so all these these um, different uh, values and, and morals were reflected in, in the fairy tales at a certain period of time at a, from a particular culture. And uh, I also analyzed um, East German fairy tales and also their films. They have made actually a, a bunch of films. Um, and it was interesting to me how they adapted these East German fairy tale films to reflect um, East German um, socialist uh, morals and values, and they actually eliminated a lot of these punishments um, and sort of like the evil ones kind of got away with it, basically. That's interesting. What was going on there, do you think? Well, um, in in East Germany, um, the women in general, um, there was more equali- equality between uh, men and women. So, um, and there was a, a big emphasis on working and um, also the different classes. So we had um, uh, aristocracy, for example, they were reduced in these tales to working middle class, mm. which was interesting. So uh, there's an adaptation from uh, Sleeping Beauty where, she, you know, in the in the tale, in the original tale, um, we have king and queen and prince and princess. But in this adaptation, we had the princess and then there was the fairy tale or there was a fairy of uh, hard work and diligence. And <laughs> she came to the princess and said in the end, okay, but remember, we must work very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll teach you how to spin properly now so you can contribute to, you know, be productive for the people. <laughs> well, this idea of hype and demand, you wonder in that case if there was demand for that sort yes, of thing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, so, uh, yeah, this is fascinating. And really all these evil punishments, um, yeah, they are, are gone in the East German productions. Mm. And uh, that tells you something about, you know, how, how socialism worked um, in East Germany. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm wondering, uh, with adaptations here in the U.S. of, of these, you, you know, you talked about uh, Snow White and uh, adaptations here, um, where, you, where you get a backstory to explain why the evil queen is evil, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Is there danger that we lose a sense of evil, a sense of danger? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I I don't know. There, there's so many different uh, versions out there. I mean, Disney is certainly the most popular one, but there's also there's also other productions, Miyazaki films uh, in Japan, for for instance. And we still have other fairy tale authors. There are so many different fairy tale adaptations. Um, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I always pay attention to how villains are sort of punished. Um, of course, we don't want medieval punishments anymore. <laughs> we don't want because in the Grimm's tales they are very, very brutal. Um, they they get stripped naked and put in a barrel with nails and rolled down the hill, for instance. Or um, there's also godly punishments, if you want. So this is interesting. You have um, the in Cinderella, for instance, you have doves pecking out the eyes of the evil stepsisters once they go into church and once they come out of church. So each picks out one eye. 
Um, but then also um, look at the, the Disney film in Snow White. The dwarves are actually chasing the evil queen with um, all sorts of equipment in their hands. So you have to think, okay, if they would have gotten a hold of the evil queen, would they have... Um, yeah, beaten her to death? What would have happened? But we don't see this ending because what happens is a godly punishment um, of the evil queen being struck by lightning and falling off a cliff. Um, so these punishments still exist in a way, but they're a little different. They're not as, as medieval anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, reflecting the times. <laughs> Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about the big bad wolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very interesting and that's one I guess I could viscerally understand the original, you know, because you're traveling through a forest mm-hmm. in Germany or Russia or somewhere, or even here in the U.S. Yeah, uh, you know, the wolves nipping at your sleigh yeah, or whatever. And they it is. are back in Germany. Yeah. They they, they were okay. extinct for a while, but they're back. Yeah. yeah, I can understand that visceral fear. Then, of course, that produced um, tales. Yes. Right, and then, then interesting how those have become adapted here in the U.S. Um, we'll have more with Claudia Schwaba. She is associate professor of German at Utah State University. Her new book is called "Craving Supernatural Creatures: German Fairy Tale Figures in American Pop Culture." More following this. In the Pacific Northwest, there's growing concern over the number of deaths in county jails. Many of those deaths are from suicide. We have people who are very sick in our facilities and we don't know how to deal with them. And because we don't know how to deal with them, they're dying. I'm Mary Louise Kelly, trying to prevent suicide behind bars. Monday afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. That's today from 3 to 6.30 here on Utah Public Radio. Over the Memorial Day weekend, Tyler Riggs and David Fawcett came into the UPR studio to talk to listen, and hopefully to bridge the current cultural and political divide. Both heartily recommended one small step we can all take. We need to learn, I think, as a society to just get along better. Invite your neighbors over to a barbecue that have completely different beliefs than you. We've got to start having the barbecues. I need to reach out to people in starting in the neighborhood that I don't talk to and get to know them. And you don't have to become best friends, but you should find some element of common ground. If you'd like to participate, go to upr.org and sign up for StoryCorps' One Small Step. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with Claudia Schwaba. She is Associate Professor of German at Utah State University. And she has a new book out, Craving Supernatural Creatures, German Fairy Tale Figures in American Pop Culture. So, Claudia Schwab, I want to turn to the Big Bad Wolf. As I mentioned before the break, um, I can understand the visceral fear. That, you know, I can relate to it anyway. I haven't been on a sleigh, but, you know, racing through the forest with uh, wolves. And you, you hear tale, you know, you, you, in fact, I've read history where... Uh, you know, if the wolves get too much, maybe you throw somebody out, um, you know, to appease the, appease the wolves. So you go from that visceral fear to um, – so tell us about the original yes. Little Red Riding Hood. So Grimm's um, Little Red Riding Hood is actually based on uh, French versions of that tale, Le Petit Chaperon Rouge by Charles Perrault, and another um, actually preceding oral tale, the story of grandmother. Um, so in in that in the 
German tale, um, there is a happy ending. We have Little Red Riding Hood that gets gobbled up by the wolf, um, who beforehand has gobbled up the grandmother, but then comes the hunter, the savior figure. He cuts open the wolf. He rescues Little Red Riding Hood and the grandmother, and then he puts a lot of heavy rocks into the belly of the wolf and the wolf basically when he wakes up he falls down dead um, but in the French version um, it's really more about rape and it's about um, a man exploiting um, naive women sexually and um, so I, I look at these tales and um, and compare them to again uh, adaptations um, in contemporary American culture and um, specifically the television show Grimm where we have a creature called a blutbot um, they always take German words to make it sound more authentic, <laughs> which translates to bloodbath. Um, but the the one of the protagonists is a, a character Monroe, and he's a reformed bloodbath or Wieder bloodbath. So he doesn't kill at all. He's actually vegan, and he does a lot of Pilates um, to to stay in shape, and uh, so he won't get tempted. Um, to do any harm. So he's a very, very positive character. And again, funny, comedic. Um, so we take that that uh, figure of the big bad wolf and make it something very positive and, and funny and something that a, a creature that we like and that we want to see on screen. And uh, uh, basically the, the the wolf from next door, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> what does that do? Do you think, uh, if if you know the the source of terror? Yes. Yeah. Is is now a positive character next door? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good question. So, um, I think um, we as a society we we um, have to always ask ourselves how how we treat other people, and um, if if there is. A person uh, maybe appearing a little bit odd or scary or different. Uh, is that truly so, or is it just a facade? And maybe there is um, somebody we actually could like and have a beer with um, or a, a drink, um, a, a very nice person, in fact. Um, so just uh, that we don't judge by the the outside um but we have to get to know the inside of that person. And uh, so not to have any prejudice um, against people who are a little different. And again, this gets into one of the main themes of your book, which Mm is um, the other seemed to be more other back in the, back in the day. And in our society, we we're valuing diversity Mm -hmm. and, and uh, maybe trying to understand the other. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about understanding the other um, asking questions and and uh, really seeing that even though they appear very diverse uh, and different, maybe they're not. Maybe mm. they're just like us. Yeah. Uh, you uh, you have a page uh, here where you uh, have a little transcript from the movie Hoodwinked. Oh yeah, the funny <laughs> movie, and it it put me in mind that uh, sometimes uh, you have an archetypal figure that everybody knows, then that can be used for humor. Yes, yes. In this case, the big bad wolf <laughs> becomes very uh, has, has kind of its plastic mask. <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood notices his, your lips are not moving, <laughs> yeah. right? And then, and then she criticizes not only the the big eyes but the, the bad breath. And then finally, <laughs> the wolf just rips off the mask and says, yeah. "What are you? You're just going to complain all day, right?" Yeah, 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 yeah. These it's, it's that can be actually really really funny scenes. Um, 
in a lot of these movies that I'm analyzing. That's why I get, I say go and buy the book. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's actually also something to really uh, enjoy and and laugh about. Um, but yeah, I mean fairy tales. Um, they are they are serious in the original, uh, for sure, and they they do have. Um, issues of, of social justice. Um, they also tell us, um, you know, cautionary tales. They warn us of dangers. And um, last but not least, they inspire us. They give us hope. Um, so are these tales that we see today in the media, do they function the same way? Maybe not. Maybe they're a little different. They have maybe a different function um, today. But Nevertheless, they are important. Um, I always say fairy tales are almost like um, breathing things. Um, they adapt over time. They they shape. They change shape and form. Um, but they have to adapt. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist anymore. If these adaptations, um, you know, weren't around, we probably wouldn't enjoy fairy tales at all anymore. Mm-hmm. They have to adapt. Yeah. So, yeah. Where do you, well, first of all, um, I mean, you're, I'm imagining you're analyzing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you able to enjoy these? Oh, yeah. Popular culture oh, yeah. items just on a <laughs> enjoyment basis? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did watch, this is always my good excuse I have for watching these these shows. I tell my husband it's for research purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the perfect excuse for me to, to watch these films and the shows. Um, but also, if you would ask me, I would say, okay, if you have if you have children or, or for yourself, you should always go back to the original tales and read them first so you can uh, so you know where they come from and you can relate the, the adaptations to the original stories. Um, otherwise, uh, if you don't if you don't expose your children to these original tales, they might lose the reference here. Yeah, they might still enjoy them and it's funny, but you know you have to sort of know the basics of the stories before you can truly appreciate uh, the adaptation. Yeah. yeah, we just have oh, two or three minutes left, uh, so we'll we'll have people read about dwarves. That's another chapter yeah. in the book. So, uh, and how dwarves have been adapted in popular culture. I want to talk a little bit about because this brings us around full circle. These uh, these topics of other. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk a little bit about uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, oh, yeah. uh, film, The Shape of Water. Oh. Tell me a little bit about about, about that. That's it's a fascinating film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and continue some of the themes we've been talking about here, which is this 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 figure is uh, sort of amphibious. He's yeah, yeah. sort of I don't know made it's, of made of water or whatever. <laughs> he, he's definitely other. <laughs> yes. So. Um, this is actually, I mean, first of all, he's one of my favorite film directors. And second, uh, because he also uh, did Pan's Labyrinth. Um, and The Shape of Water is an amazing film. We have this creature who is sort of um, from the Amazon River. He's part fish, part human, so amphibian creature. But also uh, the natives believe that he's a godlike creature. And he has been captured uh, by American military, and he's um, hold uh, or held in, in, in captivity. And then there is a cleaning lady, and she uh, she can't speak, um, but she she witnesses this creature in captivity, and she forms a bond with that creature. Um, 
she is it's more than a bond it's actually a love relationship um believe it or not but this creature and i I believe the uh, director was inspired by the lagoon monster um to make this film so this creature actually becomes sexualized and there is sexual a sexual relationship between this amphibian creature who again also can't speak and um the cleaning lady or janitor um and she helps this creature escape eventually and also to set him free and she decides to go with him and he actually he is supernatural because he does have healing powers um so she escapes with that creature and that is interesting to me to see how this monster that was once uh, a scary lagoon in a, a lagoon monster in a previous movie has been taken and adapted to become this um creature that is now sexually desirable and beautiful in a way and does these marvelous things um uh, it's a beautiful movie and this is go, goes back to the theme of uh, tales have to adapt mm-hmm. right? yes absolutely they have to adapt um you could say also it's um it's a cauldron of story that has always been brewing and you're adding in different ingredients and every time it's something different but it has to adapt to survive it's mm. it's almost like an evolutionary concept i would say um and every in every country in every time period fairy tales um, change and they have to be changed to survive yeah absolutely I heard the interview with uh, del toro and he he's been fascinated all his life by monsters right mm-hmm. and, but what does monster mean mm-hmm. right yeah. and that gets into what we've been talking about to always be monsters quote unquote yeah which which are other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but how other are there and, and but they'll always be with us but always adapting i guess right yes yes and and the word monster if if you look at the definition of monster um it goes back to um warning um and and a, a creature maybe that is threatening or that uh, is there to be displayed um in a sense but um yeah Uh, monster the word we have to maybe rethink the the term monster yeah yeah well we're out of time the book is craving supernatural creatures german fairy tale figures in american pop culture it's out now well worth the read claudia schwab is with us uh, and uh, she's uh, associate professor of german at the utah state university she's the author thanks so much for coming in thank you for having me and thanks for listening to access utah <laughs> You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Sadistic, poisonous, anti-human, and sneaky. Like a fly on the wall. You wouldn't hear us or you wouldn't see us. How can we mix it up? How can we stir it up? I bugged my car. On the next Radio Lab. A grotesque invasion of privacy. Smile, Smile. you're You're on on candid candid camera. camera. Join us tomorrow morning at 10 here on UPR.